When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. In the night time, when I, you know, when I'm there by myself, I often say, you know, is it worth it, you know, going through it? And would, it, would I be better off dead? And then I think about it for a while and say, well, I'd be no good to anybody if I was dead. And it's mostly the loneliness now, you know, that I get depressed over. I didn't care too hoots whether I was dead or not. I was just that fed up with everything and so depressed over it. In a matter of nine weeks, I was suffering really bad depression. That I just didn't care. You know, I really, I really thought that the aspirin would have done it. I mean, a hundred, you know, but they didn't. Like, you know, but I suppose now I often do. I get. I'm not saying I don't get depressed anymore. I do. I get terrible bouts of depression, but I don't think it's as bad since I left home. To be or not to be. The question that plagued Hamlet's mind is obviously still bothering people, and recent reported figures say that over 170 people in the 26 counties went so far as to actually kill themselves last year. Now, why would people do that? What makes some people attempt it? Are they any different from the rest of us? These are some of the questions we hope to answer with the help of Dr Dermot Walsh, consultant psychiatrist to the Medico-Social Research Board, and Professor J.N.P. Moore, consultant psychiatrist to St. Patrick's Hospital, Dublin. First, Dr. Walsh. There are differences between the types of people who attempt suicide on the one hand and who uh, actually kill themselves on the other. Very briefly, uh, young people, and in particular women, uh, attempt uh, suicide, whereas those who kill themselves are more likely to be male and elderly. Is that because the males are stronger, the that they didn't go through with it, whereas a female might balk at the last minute. Yep, this may be it. That um, uh, Males, for instance, use um, violence as a means of killing themselves uh, more often than females, and quite obviously males are, are um, better able to shoot themselves or hang themselves or stab themselves uh, than women, and that certainly may be one factor. The ordinary person in the street who was going about in a normal fashion, quite happy, could it happen to him or her one day that they would suddenly feel like committing suicide and go ahead with it? Yes, I think it can happen to anyone. I don't think anyone is immune. Um, Obviously, uh, your happy man in the street may not always be a happy man in the street. He may may become a depressed man living alone uh, with a lot of... um, deprivation, social deprivation, economic deprivation, and so on at some other time, point in time. And that, of course, may very, very easily change his outlook on life, lead to depression, and if the depression is severe enough, uh, to suicide. Well, does suicide normally uh, come after depression? Would there, would there have been a depression period there for us for a while? Yeah, people um, 
who are depressed constitute the greatest single risk uh, for suicide. Because obviously, if you are depressed, your uh, perception of reality in relation to the present, uh, the past, and most importantly of all, to the future changes and becomes gloomy and uh, negative. And in that frame of mind, um, you are more likely to um, feel that the future isn't worth the candle and therefore to leave this life by your own hand. But is there something in built in some people that is triggered off by some emotional crisis? I mean, would some people be more prone than others? Would there be a family history there? Of depression, perhaps, but not of suicide per se. Uh, I think one sees suicide as the um, as the end result of um, these depressive illnesses that we've been speaking about. And it is true that certain forms of depression uh, do have a hereditary uh, or genetic basis, though they are perhaps in the minority. Uh, other depressions come from unfavorable um, environmental circumstances. Things have gone wrong, as so many things can go wrong in one's life. And because of that, one feels thoroughly fed up, depressed, can't see any way out, and uh, takes an overdose and kills oneself. I found out he was going out and he was drinking very, very heavy. And I was left in the house on my own a lot with the children. And then it was when he'd come home, you know, I used to sit and brood what happened, what he'd do to me, and what he'd, you know, he'd call me violent names and really hurt me. And I just felt, I felt on several, you know, several occasions, I just didn't, I didn't want to live. You know, I really wanted to take something. I was on very strong tablets at this stage, but I think my head was a little bit screwed on because I didn't take these heavy tablets. But this particular day, though, you know, he was out drinking, we had to be fighting, and he was saying, wait till I come back, I'm packing my clothes and I'll finish you off, you know. And I decided then I bought a box of this aspirin and took them all. As I said, you know, nothing happened in the way of killing me, but they made me very, you know, very sick and headaches. But I didn't, like, do anything to upset him. He went out the next morning drinking and just left me there to cope with the children. At that time, did you really intend doing away with yourself? Yes, I did, because I left the letter. You know, I left a very important letter, like, saying why I was doing it and explaining that, you know, I didn't do it because I was insane. I just did it because I was so depressed. You know, when he'd go out on these drinking boots and leave me, and then when he'd come back, what I had to face, you know, for nothing at all, because I didn't go out drinking. But if you had stronger tablets at the time, uh, would you have taken them? I'd say I would have, yeah. I probably would have. You know, thank God now I hadn't, but I think I would have. Professor J.N.P. Moore has been a psychiatrist in St. Patrick's Hospital Dublin for many years and has dealt with all kinds of depressive illness. I would say that in general people commit suicide because they feel life is not worth living uh, and um, those people, that kind of emotion is determined by the fact that they are depressed. So that you, most successful suicides except times of political crisis or something of the kind in ordinary life successful suicide is a complication of a depressive illness and people quite unreasonably feel there is no future for them even people who are economically quite well off in apparently good health with things going well for them get a feeling of sadness and gloom and despondency and uh, they can't um, react to good news even by feeling happy. 
that, that the, they feel dead inside so that um, it may seem a logical thing for them to kill themselves. They feel the world would be better without them and that they themselves would be out of the pain in which they're in. Because it's very important to remember that depression is real pain. And I've been told many thousands of times, Doctor, I'd rather suffer any pain than go through that depression again. And it is the pain of depression, the intolerable pain, that makes people wish to end their lives. So that you may say, is there any, you said, is there any special kind of person? I think, first of all, everybody gets depressed at times. It's important to realize that depression is a normal reaction to loss or failure or disappointment or bereavement, any of the slings and arrows which all of us have to meet in a lifetime. It's only if it goes on too long or becomes excessive that we think of it in terms of an illness. And uh, some people are more prone to it than others for two kinds of reasons. Some are more prone because in their general reactions to stress they are not too robust. They're very sensitive and um, easily upset and uh, not perhaps as mature as other people so that... um, they don't tolerate the pain of depression very well and uh, they feel they they just must get out of it. Now, such people are more likely to make attempt suicide rather than actually actually kill themselves. They tend to belong to the group of what's called parasuicides or attempted suicides. They take a non-lethal overdose or cut their wrists or make some gesture which is essentially a method of appealing for help and certainly they are people in need of help there are people who are sometimes um, the very fact that they have to resort to this method means that they have been rather neglected and deprived or feel they have been and very often indeed have been now that's at one end of a scale what we call reactive depression Uh, people overreacting to circumstances and situations. Now, at the other end of the scale, you can get very mature, stable, successful, often driving, dynamic people uh, who it would be said of them, he or she is the last person I'd ever expect to get nerves, who in quite out-of-character fashion begin to wake up early in the morning feel gloomy and disinclined to face the day. They find that instead of being decisive, they put things on the long finger, they procrastinate. Uh, They find it hard to concentrate. They can't enjoy a joke. Even good news doesn't lift their heart. They uh, find uh, that they're looking at the dark side of whatever situation is in front of them. Now, this is a a very definite kind of illness to which only some people are predisposed and some people are quite heavily predisposed to it. And 
Uh, it may come on in response to stress, either psychological or physical. For example, many women get it after childbirth, or many people get it in midlife. Many adolescents go through a phase of this kind. Now, it's, medically speaking, tremendously important to be aware of the possibility of this kind of depression because uh, untreated it's very painful and dangerous because it may lead to suicide. in the grow a lot and I didn't want to go I didn't want to talk to anyone about my you know even my mother my sisters I didn't want to speak to anyone about her I was just bottling her up and I'd sit and I'd brew it and I wouldn't do nothing in the house I wouldn't even go as far as say no I didn't even cook for the kids you know I just let everything pile up and I just sit and brew it all the time and thinking and did you ever think of trying it again I did yes the, about ten weeks ago I did before I left home, I did thought of it, and I go out that night. If I hadn't gotten out, I think I would have. But I go out in time, you know. So, but since you know I've been away now, I haven't, I haven't thought of it. Thank God. I tell you, sometimes it does get on top of me. If things get on top of me, you know, with the children and all, I'd say you'd be better off dead. But I've never actually sat down and said, right, I'm going to do myself in now. But I've often, you know said, oh, I'll take an overdose, I'll do this, I'll do that. But I don't think I will. I don't think now it's worth it, you know. Well, after you tried to do yourself in the first time, uh, were you glad it didn't happen then? I was glad the next day, yeah. I was really glad. But at the time you didn't care? I didn't care too hoots whether I was dead or not. I was just that fed up with everything. and so depressed over it. In a matter of nine weeks, I was suffering really bad depression. That I just didn't care. You know, I really... I really thought that the aspirin would have done it. I mean, a hundred, you know, but they didn't, like, you know. Is there any kind of treatment for depression that would prevent a person from attempting suicide? Yes, I think there is. Uh, Although one has to be somewhat cautious here because what evaluative studies there have been of intervention uh, in this area um, have not uh, indicated that intervention has always been as successful as one would have liked. Uh, For example, many people who kill themselves have in fact been attending doctors, even psychiatrists, and have seen them very shortly before they kill themselves, indicating that the psychiatrist or doctor, whoever it was, uh, was not able to take effective uh, preventive action. On the other hand, of course, there are people who might have killed themselves had they not been along to see the, the doctor or the psychiatrist or whoever else. And of course, you don't hear about these cases because they don't figure in the statistics. So it's, um, it's difficult to give uh, any authoritative view um, uh, about the ones who, who are seen by psychiatrists and doctors and who don't kill themselves. It would seem, though, prima facie, and on theoretical grounds, that uh, prevention, I mean, by which I mean effective treatment of depression, um, must have uh, some benefit in these cases. Uh, are there any particular kinds of people who would commit suicide? Is there any age group? Any uh, profession? In general it has been the case that as I said at the, at the, um, at the beginning that uh, elderly males um, are more likely to, um, to 
figure among the suicide statistics than other types of people. But recent trends uh, throughout Europe have indicated an increasing propensity on the part of young people to kill themselves. Uh, although, numerically, they may still be um, uh, only a small number of the overall suicides, yet the risk does seem to be increasing considerably for people aged under 25, for example. Would there be any particular reason for that? Well, here you've got to speculate. There are no, no hard facts, after all. But one might say that young people today have a um, greater expectation of what the world should be giving them, what they should get out of it, uh, than young people, say, half a century ago. And that when their expectations are not fulfilled, as is so often the case, uh, they're more likely to um, be frustrated, uh, less content to put up with the frustration, and uh, to act impulsively, perhaps, in a self-destructive fashion. Is there any particular reason that uh, suicide has increased uh, so much in Ireland in the last decade or so? That's a difficult question, and I wouldn't like to be in any sense categorical about it. I would make two points, though, firstly. Uh, these are short-run data. They refer to uh, 10 years, and 10 years is a relatively short time uh, in, in terms of suicide trends, point number one. Point number two, the numbers we're dealing with in Ireland are quite small. I think the actual increase was from somewhere in the 70s to over 170, that sort of thing. And random variation in when you're dealing with numbers as small as that um, is is important and may may uh, just reflect a chance change from year to year. But having said that, uh, I think uh, I, it is inescapable that the increase has been somewhere between two and three uh, times, and that is of some moment. Uh, as to why it should be, um, I've said to you that um, an increasing number of young people are killing themselves, and this was clear too in the Irish figures. Although... Um, the increase was seen at all ages, but it was more pronounced uh, among the, the, the young, who therefore are making uh, more than their contribution to the overall increase. But even if the figures for suicide are on the increase, Professor Moore is very optimistic about the treatment of depression and its tendencies. If you like to take the two different kinds of depression, the kind that is overreacting to situations, they need psychological help and support and understanding, and either from a doctor, which, from a psychiatrist, or from some of the helping agencies, such as the Samaritans, who perform a very valuable function in listening to these people and allowing them to ventilate their worries and woes and uh, offer a sympathetic ear. And for this group, they need that kind of psychological help and support and perhaps education in uh, dealing with their problems in a more mature way than by seeking to end it all. Now, at the other end of the scale, the melancholic type of depression, no amount of comfort and consolation uh, and uh, sympathy will really cure them, certainly not a holiday or a piece of good news, what they need is a specific treatment. And thank goodness we now have what we call chemotherapy. These are antidepressant chemicals which don't cure them as much as provide an antidote which relieves their symptoms and they can go on taking them safely until the cycle of depression ends. Because remember, even before we had any treatment, the natural his history of 
this kind of depression was to run through a cycle of weeks or months or occasionally years and then get better. Now the drugs act as a kind of chemical splint that gives the patient emotional control and enables them to function at the work and uh, perhaps not at their very best level but at a reasonably good level until it ends. What kind of factor would make the cycle come to an end? We don't understand why it comes on or why it ends. This is something that my own belief is the answer will come not from a psychiatrist or a psychologist, but from a white-coated laboratory worker, probably by a chemist. That's because it, 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 these things can come in relation to these kinds of stress I mentioned, like childbirth and middle age and so on, but they can come out of a clear blue sky. The other treatment, by the way, which is an extremely valuable treatment in severe depression, and one which has the misfortune to have aroused a lot of fear and apprehension is electrical treatment, what we call electroplexy, and which is quite wrongly called shock treatment. This is, uh, the more severely depressed patient is, the more dramatically it acts. And it is a really kind, benevolent thing to do give the, this treatment to a patient who is severely melancholic and the outlook the relief it gives is quite dramatic as dramatic as anything in medicine you may say why are people uh, afraid of it well one reason is I think because it's so good in the right case that it tends to be used too much in patients who are not suitable for it for example the original group I talked about these people who were overreacting to stress and who were perhaps very anxious and somewhat immature, it doesn't help them at all. It only helps the people at the other end of the scale who've got this depressive illness and whose personalities are mature and stable when they're well. And for them, it can be magic. I felt I didn't want to live, as I explained before. I didn't I had no interest in myself, I had no interest in the children, I had no interest in the home, I had no interest whatsoever in the outside world. I just felt that when I was in the room behind them four walls, that that was my home, you know, my room, and I didn't even want to go to the bedroom. I often slept out in the living room, you know, and I was on tablets, but I didn't find they helped me altogether that good. You know, I was on a few, I won't mention the names, but I was on quite a few tablets, you know, different four tablets, four t different tablets, you know, four times a day. And they didn't help me at all. And But the doctors had maintained that you have to help yourself as well, which I found I wasn't helping myself. You know, I wasn't doing anything to help myself. I was brooding too much. Well, you, you know. didn't improve then until you went away from the house. When I left the house, I have improved tremendously. And I think if I was to go back to, you know, back to the house tomorrow, I'd start again. Now, it wasn't the house, or I wouldn't say it was the children, but it was just, you know, my husband drinking and causing trouble and he never walks or anything, you know. That really had me bad on it. Had me very affected, you know. But, you know, I... It's it's a very hard thing to explain. Now, as I said, I went to a top psychiatrist and I could sit... I, t I sat with him for four hours and I told him everything. And he says to me, how do you feel after telling me all about this? 
I says, I feel okay now. I'm here with you. I says, but when I go home, I says, I won't feel any better. I said, I'm about to get them all off. How my system telling you exactly? I says, you're giving me pills. I says, but I'll go home and I'll just feel the same way again. I said, and tonight I'll be depressed more than I was when I come into you. And he'd say to me, you know, social work, say, you're going to do the work now. You're going to look after the kids. And I'd say, yeah. But I found I couldn't. I, when I went to do it, I just couldn't. My mind wasn't allowing me. i just say, oh, you know, blow. i say, why bother? I was just letting everything pile up me. You know, I was letting myself, and I got, I didn't want to open the door to callers. I didn't want anyone coming in to talk to me. I just wanted to be on my own. In Ireland, uh, being a very much a religious kind of country, uh, Suicide was always taboo. Has that changed in any way? Um, I think that uh, it probably has. And again, I'm speaking impressionistically. Um, but I still think that um, people uh, have certain attitudes towards suicides. And perhaps the families or relatives um, of people who commit suicide, which are, are condemnatory, I think that probably still exists, and of course um, will take a long time to die out. But I think it is dying out. For instance, in the United Kingdom, sometime in the early 60s, uh, attempted suicide ceased to be an offence, a criminal offence, that is, uh, and uh, it still is in this country. Obviously, it would be desirable that uh, it be removed from the statute book as an offence but it shows perhaps a, a slowness on our part to, to change attitudes. Now, it, was it formerly true that maybe the same amount of people committed suicide but coroners were kind in reports and that thinking of families and didn't bring in a suicide or a verdict of suicide? Yes, figures, uh, international figures, um, based on the results of coroners' uh, inquiries, uh, in those countries where the coroner's system operates, such as our own and uh, the United Kingdom, or, uh, not the United Kingdom, England and Wales, because Scotland is a different system, um, will always tend to underestimate the real incidence of suicide, simply because the coroner's function is a legal one, and uh, his um, adjudication uh, is entirely within the legal context. He therefore is defining uh, death as a legal entity and must be uh, moved by legal considerations. And this means, in effect, that he must have uh, pretty definite evidence that the deceased intended that he die through the act uh, which he initiated. And obviously, if there isn't any uh, unequivocal evidence of uh, intent, then the coroner uh, must... Um, hedge his bets and uh, not return a suicide uh, verdict. And in fact, um, in, England, in England, there have been um, a number of recent cases where aggrieved relatives who felt that the uh, deceased had not killed himself uh, and in whose case a suicide verdict was brought in by a coroner appealed to higher courts and higher courts have set aside uh, the coroner's verdict. Now, that clearly means that coroners must be very circumspect before they name a dead suicide. And in fact, they want very high evidence of intent, such as a suicide note, for example, which would indicate clearly that the deceased did want to kill himself and did so. Um, 
Whereas uh, a medical person, or anyone else for that matter, a layperson, uh, looking at the evidence, would say that on the basis of probabilities, this person killed himself. And therefore, of course, the, the, the sets of figures deriving from both sources would be quite different. Therefore, in, in short, uh, coroner's verdicts do underestimate suicide for legal reasons, not, not, not because of anything that, uh, uh, that the community itself may feel in its attitude towards suicide. Feeling lonely, depressed, suicidal. Help and understanding is only a phone call away. So reads the ad of the Samaritans, that voluntary body that operates in Dublin, Cork, Limerick, Waterford and Galway. And the main function, I think, of the Samaritans is to befriend the lonely, depressed, suicidal people who ring us up. You know, we kind of um, offer support, friendship, when the people are going through a crisis period. Uh, when people ring you up, are they usually desperate? Not all the time, like, you know, I mean, when they ring, it's not always a crisis situation when they ring us. They might be just lonely. They might be just worried about a certain thing that's troubling them. Or they might be going through a, a crisis. You know, the three things, you know. So therefore, you know, it's very hard to say when they ring. Uh, if they ring during the crisis period, they can be very upset. And we try to talk to them, listen to them, and show them that we care for them. And we offer them the befriending of the Samaritans. You know. uh, if they're just worried about a certain problem, we'll talk to them about, about what they class as the problem. And then we um, offer them support. We offer them <coughs> follow-up. In other words, we kind of offer to kind of contact them if they feel lonely. And um, that's the main reason the Samaritans are here, to befriend people who are going through a crisis situation. Do people sometimes ring you then and they, are, they tell you they're just about to do away with themselves? They do at certain times, yes. And then we kind of... Um, uh, we talk, listen to what they have to say and we try to be as calm as possible. I mean, they, they don't want to ring a person up and find that they're getting as upset as they are, you know? So you have to be very, very calm, accept them and hope that they'll allow you to go out and if necessary and uh, talk through the problem with them, what, what got them to the stage like of actually committing suicide. Hmm? And most times people will let you go out. And, you know, but if they don't let you go out, I must say that um, it could get to a stage that <coughs> we offer to go out and they reject their, our offer. Now, overall, then, what are the usual kind of problems they have when they contact you? Uh, I think the major problem would be marital problems, which are the higher, higher. And after that, I'd say, would be loneliness, uh, sexual, uh, if you want to call it deviancy, but homosexuality, uh, depression. But I think marital is the top of the list, I'd say, for would they be husbands now or wives mostly? I'd say the, <coughs> the major uh, would be... I think women are a higher number callers, but men also. But I think the women are more easy. They find it easier to ring rather than men. Like, you know? Although men do come on with marital problems. Like, you know? But a woman will come on, I think, a little faster than a man will. She's inclined to talk more freely. And she's inclined to look for help easier, I think. 
a man who's inclined to try and solve his own problems, like, you know, and doesn't think he needs anyone to listen to. When I was separated from my husband and I was looking after the kids by myself and I thought it was, you know, a very hard job to look after children by myself. And um, then I, I moved away from where I was living and um, I got more depressed because I had my children with me, only one. And I was going to the doctor and I got tablets and they didn't help at all. And he said that I'd have, you know, to get myself out of depression myself if the tablets didn't work. So um, I knocked off the tablets and I went on sleeping tablets and I take them in the night time. I often took maybe, you know, more than I should. And the next day the depression would come back again. So um, I'm trying to, you know, work myself out of it now. But did it all happen uh, because you were gone from the husband? Um, I mean, were you all right before that? I was, yeah, yeah. Until, you know, my marriage started breaking up. It was six years ago. And I had depression now for about four years. And um, that's about it. And did you feel then you couldn't cope with things? Oh, I did, yeah. I thought that, you know, the whole world was tumbling in top of me. And I just, you know, just gave up. And then again, I got help from, you know, the social workers and said it's no good, you know, lying back and taking it all to get up and do something about it. So I did. And I don't if you hadn't people now like the social workers to help you, what would have happened? I, I think I'd have gone to pieces. I really would because... You know, I was really, I really used to get bad. And they, you know, they helped me out a lot. Did you ever think now of doing yourself in and getting away from it all? Uh, in the night time, when, you know, when I'm there by myself, I often say, you know, is it worth it, you know, going through it? And would, it, would I be better off dead? And then I think about it for a while and say, well, I'd be no good to anybody if I was dead. And it's mostly the loneliness now, you know. That I get depressed over. Is there anything now you can do about it? Um, well, in, in the summer, you know, the weather gets better. I'll, I'd like to go around and see all the museums, things like that. But at the moment, there isn't, you know. But I don't feel as bad as you know as I was. We'll say about uh, four months ago. I was really, you know, really depressed. And, you know, I tried to get myself out of it. I used to get fits of crying for hours and hours, you know. Even on the buses, I start crying. But um, I'm not as bad as I was. It's only mostly now in the night time that, you know, I get depressed. When, we'll say, when it gets dark and I'm sitting there, you know. Well, is it long now since you separated from the husband? Um, a year. Away. But I was away from then again. Um, four years ago for two years. So, I, you know, I married was it nine years and I lived with him about five. Yeah. And did it work all right at one time? Yeah, you know, then he started to drink a lot and gamble and start going back with his old friends. And, you know, I just couldn't take it. He's come, up, come in then and beat me up. You know, I just asked him not to go out with his friends, stay in some nights, you know, in the week with the children. And he wouldn't listen, he just would say, kick me on the ground and, you know, walk past me, go out, come in any time he liked. He often stayed away for weekends, never came home. 
and um, I have a you know retired little girl, and he had never you know much time for her because she was retarded, and he just used to go out and get drunk. And did you ever think now you'd get any comfort out of drink? Me? Yeah. No, not really. Yeah. Because it's like this, I think if you have a problem and you go drinking, you know, the next morning you wake up, you still have the problem and you have a hangover as well. I've tried that as well. You know, I know the next day the problem will still be there. People sometimes wonder if there's any connection between suicidal attempts and drink problems. Professor Moore. Well, indeed, uh, I'm very glad you mentioned that because you reminded me of probably what may be the most important explanation of why the suicide rate has gone up. It's very well known fact that um, suicide is a complication of alcoholism and even of heavy drinking. And in fact, I think it's true to say that most suicidal attempts and um, most successful suicides are carried out under the influence of alcohol or drugs, particularly alcohol. So that in this country, as in all the Western world, the consumption of alcohol is rising steeply. More and more people are drinking more alcohol at a younger age, and a wider spectrum of uh, the community is drinking heavily. And this undoubtedly would be a significant factor, to my mind, in increasing the suicide rate. Because uh, alcohol is a depressant, which uh, it may give a temporary illusion of well-being at the very early stages of a drinking session, but it um, is pharmacologically and physiologically a depressant. And when the person goes on drinking, they will get more depressed. And during the withdrawal phase, when in the early hours of the morning, they would a depressed person would be at a very much graver risk of actually killing themselves. People sometimes attempt suicide, and they don't want to go the whole way. How do they know just how far to go, Doctor Walt? Well, very often, um, I think they don't. Uh, they behave very impulsively and take a mouthful of uh, tablets or a box full of tablets and so forth. Uh, The tablets are generally speaking now less dangerous and less lethal than they were um, in the past, although some are still dangerous. And you've got to swallow a great number of them before you um, succeed in killing yourself. That's one point. But it is also true, I I expect, that um, many uh, people uh, who take overdoses know pretty well that the amount of tablets they're taking is not sufficient to do them any harm. Uh, and, uh, And then they take them. Quite often the purpose, uh, if there is a consciously articulated purpose, and often there isn't, uh, because, as I said, people do it impulsively and haven't the time to think, uh, is not to kill oneself, but to get some sort of response from the um, environment uh, in relation to the particular difficulty or problem which is causing one anxiety or depression or whatever at that point in time. And, of course... This generally happens because if you take an overdose, your relatives know about it. They they, they see it as a, a self a life endangering procedure, and then naturally they're going to give you attention. Furthermore, other agencies are brought into your orbit of functioning and your area of distress. 
Yeah, because if you get taken off to a hospital, you'll be seen by a casualty officer, a doctor. You may well be referred to a social worker to deal with your social problems. If, for instance, it's trouble with your husband who's drinking too much, or if it's um, uh, having to live in a mobile home and uh, not getting priority in the corporation housing list, for instance. Uh, and then you may be seen by a psychiatrist and so on. So in this way, uh, there is a purpose and a useful purpose to be served by a suicide attempt, that you enlarge the orbit um, of your difficulties and bring in other helping agencies uh, other than your immediate family or relatives uh, to your problem. So I, I wouldn't dismiss attempted suicides as being wholly, um, wholly malicious and um, wholly wasteful. Sometimes they do serve a purpose to the person who has attempted suicide. I always think, you know, psychiatrists were head shrinkers to put you on a couch and want to know everything in your personal life, but I don't think it's so. I went to one here, you know, and I found him very, very good. That, you know, that he, he did listen to what I had to say. When I came here first, I thought nobody would listen. But when I went to him, I found him very, very good. And, you know, I felt that he cared, you know. And it was then, really, that I sort of picked myself up. I cut off the tablets and, you know, I got better. But when you're depressed like that and you feel that um, there's no place for you, you're not wanted any place, uh, what, what do you feel then is the best thing that could happen to you that could take you out of that? Um, what I usually do is um, try and think ahead, think of, you know, of better things. I mean, you know, it can't be any worse than, you know, than it is now. It must get better sometime. So that's where I really think about it. When I really get down, I say, well, God is good. Maybe next month things will be better. Well, that's when I really get down, you know. That's what I think about. Well, do you find it then lonely here in the city? Oh, I do, yeah, I do. That's the worst part of it all. You know, it's then that I really, you know, get lonely and depressed. I, haven't, I don't know anybody here, nobody at all. I just sit in the room in the night and I read a lot of detectives... You know, pesting, you know, the hours went the night time. I just sit up, and I haven't got a television yet, but um, I read a lot of books, you know, to pass time away. It takes me hours to go to sleep. I sleep about two o'clock, maybe sometimes. Um, I often stay awake until half five. Still, that I really get, you know, really lonely. For, you know, even for my family. If I was, you know, at home, would be different. I had my friends and my own family. I could go down to, you know. I wouldn't go back there. I just, you know, rather live my past there. That's why I came up here, you know, to um, start a different life altogether. I want to forget about all that. <laughs> 